Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 252. We just entered the month of Adar Sheni, the second Adar in this leap year, when we add an additional month. In order to uh, compensate for the discrepancy between the lunar cycle and the solar cycle, something we discussed a few weeks ago, and with its many lessons in life, but it's also the month of other month of joy. But it's the second month of joy, and based on the rule that Milam Bekadesh, that we always increase in good things, in matters of holiness. So after a full month of uh, increased joy, day after day, we go now into the second month, even more joy, even more simcha. And this month we'll also have, in close to two weeks, the day of Purim, the greatest joy of them all. And not just a joy, but a joy that comes from transformation. From Nepach, which transformed from could have been the worst possible day, became the greatest, happiest day. And a joy that comes from darkness is always a greater joy. So you can wonder, you can wonder how is it possible, how much joy can one increase? But when you think of joy as being the natural state of the human being, we're all born joyous creatures, joyous children, because the soul senses belonging all the time. There's no dissonance, there's no loneliness, there's no isolation. So when you understand that the nature of the human being, our state of being, is one of joy, then it's like saying, how much life can one have? You can always increase in life. You could always re- increase in joy. If joy was a superimposed thing, it was something that we acquire. Uh, so then you could say, like anything you acquire, everything has its limits. But a joy that ex- that um, exudes and generates from within your soul really has no limits. So this is a month, a second month, an even increased way that we have the opportunity to actually access the deepest part of ourselves, the part that deserves to be happy, that deserves to be joyous, and that actualize it. And the way to do it is by focusing on what matters. As soon as you get distracted and you focus on things that are secondary or that are means, you ultimately right there creating a situation that makes it much more difficult to access joy. <clears throat> so here we are in the month of joy, the month of Simcha, a month where you can Simcha Sachayim, the joy of life, and I begin by wishing all of you, wishing each of us, especially with Teira in general, Teira being the blueprint for creation. So itself is a book of joy, a joy that teaches us and guides us and directs us how to live the best possible life, living up to our potential, living up to the purpose and calling for what each one of us was sent to this world. In Torah itself, there's Primia Sater, the soul of Torah, Nishmosa Daraisa, Chsidis, and hence my life, Chsidis applied, the Chsidis that teaches us the Neshama within it all. And as soon as you bring soul into the matter, soul always brings joy. The soul's natural state is joy. A soul's natural state is song. Is the only way for a soul to travel, as the Alter Rebbe explains, is through a song, through a melody. So this is the opening as we enter the second month of Adar, and we prepare for the days before Purim and then after Purim, which of course, Misma Gula Lagula this month is Gula Lagula, the Gula, redemption, and joy of Purim leading us into the redemption and joy of Pesach. So let's talk about this week's Pasha, 
few words about Vayikra. It's the beginning of the third book of Chumash, the book of Vayikra. And it is also going to be Pasha Zohar. The Shabbos before Purim, we also always read one of those four special chapters that we read, starting from Rishchidosh Shkolim, Zohar, Para, and Achidosh. So this Shabbos, this coming Shabbos, will be Zohar. We take out another Sefer Teireh, and we read the chapter about Zohar Shashar Oselecha Amalek. As the Gemara explains, and Shulchan Aruch cites why, because before we actually erase the name of Amalek, which is Haman, so we remember it by reading it in the Teireh, the Shechira before the Mechia, so we remember it by reading it. And this is actually the only Parsha, the reading of Zohar, that everybody agrees is Midaraisa. It's a parsha. All the other parshas could be some different part of his opinions, but this one everyone agrees is a mitzvah daraisa from the Torah itself, not the Rabbanon, not the mitzvah the Rabbanon, not from Torah Shabbat Peh, because it says Zocher to remember what Amalek did, and how do we remember by reading about it and listening to it in the reading of the Torah? So let's begin with that, being that it's that power, and it comes right before Purim. <clears throat> Why is it such a powerful mitzvah? So first, the word zochet itself is one of the great gifts that we were given, the ability to remember. God forbid, imagine a person was not able to remember. Basically, our past would be erased. Our roots, everything that came before us. Now, memory itself, there are certain things that are better to fade away, and not everything we have to remember. But the idea to remember, remember especially the best times, remember that which came before us, remembering our ancestors. And there's the sheish eschidas, the seven, six things that we remember every day. As we say at the end of the morning uh, davening, of one of them, Amalek, so Zohar itself is a great blessing. But why is Amalek so significant? So we'll talk about it more at the end of this program when we talk the chassidus question of the week about Amalek. But briefly, Amalek represents the archenemy of the Jewish people, not just physically, but spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally. So if we're talking about chassidus applied, we have to remember, know thy enemy, know what challenges you. As I said, we'll talk about it more later, but briefly, Amalek is gematria sophic. It throws doubts and aspersions into a person's mind and heart. And we all know that when you're paralyzed by doubt, even if you have direction, you end up not going anywhere. Doubt is one of the great plagues. Amalek also is kriyus, coldness, apathy. So if you don't, if, that, if we have apathy, we have doubts, anything you do is going to be compromised. That's why it's so vital. And it's a mitzvah that I say. You have to remember every day and your entire life the forces that tend to cloud and cover up and try to paralyze you from moving forward. In any type of growth, in any type of, um, in any type of um, healing, you always need to have that type of fortitude and commitment and confidence to forge ahead. As soon as someone throws cold water or throws doubts, that can become the biggest enemy of all. Ein simcha katoras asveikas which adds also to the, purpose, the point of Simcha joy in this month, that there's no joy like resolving doubts. When you have doubt, you're consumed by doubt. It plagues you what's going to be this way or that way. Clarity is a great, one of the greatest blessings possible. 
<clears throat> so the clarity and zakhir, remembering is clarity, remembering and focusing and moving forward. And that brings the greatest possible joy. It's similar to what I said before about Purim, a joy that comes from transforming a darkest moment, a joy that comes after there's doubts, a clarity that comes after there's doubts, is, brings a tremendous amount of inner satisfaction and celebration. So that's one point regarding Zohar. As far as Vayikra goes, so the Alter Rebbe and the Kutetera, the Chesidisha Parsha of this week, the Alter Rebbe says, Vayikra al seems to be a missing word. Who called Moshe? Vayikra al means called to Moshe. It says, Vayikra Hashem al so many times in the Tera, God called to Moshe. Where's the Hashem? doesn't say who's calling. So he says, this is talking about the etzem of Elikus, that's higher than any name. So we know there are different names that God manifests in. There's the seven holy names, including Elikim, Kael, Tzvayis, and others. Um, and then there's the name Havaya, of course, the transcendent name, the Shema Mephedish, Shema Etzem, Shema Kodesh. And then there's Anoichi, even higher than Avaya and Elekecha. Anoichi, which sometimes refers to Le'esram as Le'bishumez. But then there's a level where you just have the experience itself. And any name is already somewhat of a descent, somewhat of a gilu, somewhat of a step outside of the core itself. So why is it so vital here that because this begins the Sefer of Karbonus. Until now, we learned in Sefer Bereshis is a Sefer that lays the groundwork and the foundations of, of course, the Jewish people and the purpose of our lives. The story Sefer Hayosha, the story of our of us, patriarchs and matriarchs. Shmois sets the stage for the fundamentals. First, leaving Mitzrayim. Yitzis Mitzrayim, which is <clears throat> Yitzis Mitzrayim, meaning leave all constraints, limits, inhibitions, fears, insecurities. That led to Kriyas Yamsuf and the Matan the giving of the mandate, divine mandate and blueprint to li- of, for life, consummated by the building of the Mishkan at the end of last week's parsha, at last week's book. We read it all the way to the end of Pekude, the, which is the consummation of building a physical temple for God. But where does the real Aveda begin? The Aveda, even though all that is steps in Aveda, the real purpose of Aveda starts in Vayikra. Odom ki yakrim mikem korban Hashem. Like the Alter Rebbe's medayik. It doesn't say Odom mikem ki yakrim. Not one of you will offer. Odom ki yakrim mikem. Your yakrim will be from mikem. Because each one of us offers ourselves. This is the purpose of existence. To take your being, your flesh and blood, your passions, your desires, your, your fiery love, fiery blood, and direct it toward what? Kiruv. Carbon from the word kiruv. Sacrifice is not really the inadequate translation. Karbun means an offering. You bring yourself karuv, closer, to what? To moving away from materialistic selfishness and causing and bringing it to the divine purpose for your, of your life. That's what karbanas are. So in the time of the temple, there were actual offerings. Today, tefillah became karbanas tiknum. Prayer has replaced karbanas. And we'll talk about prayer later in this program for this reason. And, um, and, and, and it's the second pillar after Teda, Aveda, Gemilz Chasadim, Aveda, Zuhi, 
prayer, prayer, what's real prayer? You're offering yourself, not just your cognitive mind, not just your actions, but your whole being you offer to a higher purpose, that you're living your life by your calling, fulfilling the mission for which you were sent here, which is to take the material world, starting from your material being and offering it to God, offering it to the higher cause for which you were sent here. So the whole Sefer is called Sefer HaKarbonus, and it begins, of course, this Pasha talks about the different offerings, and then the other details of all the Aveda in the Mishkan and Migdash, Besa Migdash. As I mentioned last week, after this entire book, which was mostly said, Rish Nisan, which is close to the period which will be coming in a month from now, when the, after the Temple was established, then, by Midbar, Nosei, and the middle of Baal the cloud will lift from the Mishkan, which will, it descended in Parsha Pekudei, and the journey will begin through the wilderness. But the purpose is the bringing of Karbonus, which is the offerings that we offer ourselves. We don't live a life that is self, self-absorbed and driven by egocentricism, but rather one that's driven by God-centric life, fulfilling your cause, the offering that you bring. And each one of us brings our offering on a daily basis in your own your unique and particular way, the greatest thing you could possibly do. So there you have central themes, both in Zohar and Vayikra, when they come together, so the offering, of course, is the commitment. And Zohar reminds us to avoid and be careful from all the enemies that lurk, psychological, emotional, and even physical enemies that lurk within that don't allow us to fulfill or try to impede us fulfilling our purpose. Okay. Since this Shabbos will also be Tes Adr, Tes Adr Sheni, the ninth of Adr. What happened on the ninth of Adr? Second other, that's close to us, especially as we talk about Chassidus Applied. So 79 years ago, in the year Tavshin, the year 1940, and now we're in 2019, so 79 years ago, the Friedrich Rebbe, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, arrived at the shores of America, where he would not permanently stay, until his passing in 1950, and the Rebbe took over then, Yud Shvat, now, he came to America 10 years earlier, 1929, 1930, but that was a temporary visit, and now he would come to stay. And the Rebbe speaks much about the significance of the Friedrich Rebbe, which, of course, is the Nasi Hadar, leader of the generation, carrying upon himself the Mamala Mokim, the successor of all that, all those that came before him, the Rebbe Rashab and the Rebbe Marash, the Tzamech Tzedek, the Rebbe, the Alta Rebbe, going back to the Magid, if you can go all the way back to Meshe Rabbeinu, that his central, his central work moved from Eastern Europe, where he started in Lubavitch, then moved to Rostov and Leningrad. Like he says, the Esser Goli is the ten exiles, the traveling of Lubavitch, once they left the city of Lubavitch, where Chabad was centered for 102 years. And America was the tenth one, and established ultimately in 770 Eastern Parkway, a little while later, Central headquarters, and the rest is history. Faratsta, Gematria 770, the central place from where Teire, Chsidis, and the directives and the Shlichus of our generation was espoused, disseminated, and spread all over the world. Significance being, it was a major stage, a major shift, where Chotzi Kader Elyon's same atmosphere, same hemisphere, 
where Israel is, where the Torah was given. And there's a famous letter from the Friedrich Rebbe explaining the, the expression from the Alter Rebbe that Matan Torah was not given in the lower hemisphere. What do you mean it wasn't given? It was given in the whole world. So the Friedrich Rebbe explains in the letter actually to the Rebbe, printed in Tov Shenches, Sefer HaMamarim Tov Shenches, and the Igrus Kedush of the Friedrich Rebbe, that coming does not mean that it wasn't, there was no Matan Torah. It means in a revealed state, it was the upper hemisphere, upper hemisphere meaning the northern hemisphere or the, 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 you could say the eastern hemisphere, which is where Israel is. <clears throat> and that means that that part of the world is more conducive to the holiness of Torah. The lower hemisphere, which of course is America, means that this is a darker place and it takes more work. But in order because Mashiach had not yet come, so we have to go and spread and we reach even the lowest recesses to be able to actually bring to the darker places and transform, as the Friedrich Rebbe said, America is nicht anders, America is not different, transforming it to Amokam Teira and Tzidis and Aveda and Yerushalayim, which is exactly what the Friedrich Rebbe did when he arrived on the 9th of Adr Shani, 79 years ago. So after a long ordeal, remember he was escaping Europe, Nazi Europe, what was going on then, the hell of Europe. Right before that, he was escaping the hell of Russia. And here he comes to America in such a, the, the, the Jewish people in such a demoralized state, literally being massacred. So, and Friedrich Rebbe was also not well. He came over the boat on a, on a wheelchair. Today we have video of it. So the Chassidim, they took him to Greystone Hotel where he was set up to be with the family. Everyone thought that Friedrich Rebbe would want to rest after a 12-day trip and all that he had gone through. No, Friedrich Rebbe announced he wants to say a few words. And in the Greystone Hotel, in the, the room, the Friedrich Rebbe spoke. I personally wanted to hear from eyewitnesses who were there, and I did, who told me the Friedrich Rebbe was speaking with a whole boldness and the, with his whole expressive way, and as if he was speaking to millions of people. That I did not come to America, he said, to save my own life. As a matter of fact, I would prefer not to come. It was the, Friedrich, the Rebbe Eberstor that led me here. But I came here not just to escape Europe, but to demonstrate that here, in Chatzik Kadratachten, didn't use that expression, in America, where everybody thinks Yiddishkeit cannot survive and thrive, to demonstrate that we can transplant exactly, and even more so, the life that we lived of Teira and Yerushalayim and Tzidus and, and Yiddishkeit in the fullest sense of the word here in this country. <clears throat> in the Friedrich Rebbe's diary, he writes, that after he finished saying those few words, he went to his room, and some of his chassidim who were there, what he calls his best friends, supporters, wanted to see the Friedrich Rebbe. They came in to see him. Okay? What did they tell him? They said, Rebbe, we just heard what you said, and we need to tell you that we heard your words, but out of great respect for you and your holy father and holy grandfather and all the generations before you, we have to tell you, please... Don't have these expectations. It's not going to happen. This is a different country, and it's not going to be able to be possible to do what you want to do. The Friedrich Rebbe writes in his diary, you can imagine the tears that fell from my eyes the first night I came on American soil, hearing such words from my friends. Now, thank God the Friedrich Rebbe did not listen to them, and he went on to begin building and building, and his son-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe, continued, and look what we have today.
So the lesson of Tesadr is a tremendous lesson to us all that we do not ever give up. And thank God we have a Rebbe. Thank God we had the Friedrich Rebbe. And all the Rabbeim really are one essence. And we have the power that they give us to do what? To forge ahead and not take no for an answer. There's no such thing as impossible. And we see it. We see it. This was the middle of World War II. third of our nation was being destroyed and decimated. So you think, you know what? No. We forge ahead. This is a marathon of a journey through history. And thank God we would not be sitting here and doing chesedus applied. We wouldn't be doing anything we're doing today if we did not have those keiches that came test other and the Friedrich Rebbe landed on these shores. There's so much more that can be said, but due to other things we have to talk about, that is a very vital lesson that each of us need to always remember. And bear in mind, in the darkest moments, in the difficult moments, it couldn't have been more difficult than it was then. And to remember to hold on to the klamke, to hold on the iskashus, to the coattails of the rabbeim, who gives us the strength to forge ahead and fulfill the mission that we need to fulfill without hesitation, without second-guessing, and just be that strong fortitude, confidence, courage, and strength to achieve our calling, our mission in Bayikra, in bringing an offering and making a mishkin of this world, and that we will finally merit to the whole purpose of it all, to bring the Geula, when we will see in a revealed way how these efforts, the, fr- the fruits of the labor of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe, and all the Chassidim, and all those that followed their directives. Okay, with that, let us go. <clears throat> Since the theme here is Zacher and Dauts Amolek, and also Aveda and Tfila, so you'll see many, much of the themes of the questions that I chose for this week, from your questions, of course, are around that t- topic. So let me use this as an opportunity to mention that you can submit any question, any comment at our forum completely anonymously, meaningfullife.com slash mylife. And you'll also find there the archives of all previous episodes. The YouTube version on the desktop or laptop you'll find is also timestamped by topic. You can download podcasts and you can access it in any given way. Additionally, all the essays from previous year contests are also posted there, and we continue to post last year's essays. While we're also in the middle of evaluating the judges, the essays of this year's contest, and keep, keep, we'll keep you posted as that progresses. Good. Of course, we also depend on your support, sponsorship, dedicating a program or a series of programs is a great way to honor a loved one or memory of a loved one. So please consider that by going to meaningfullife.com slash sponsorship. So with that, let's go to the question here. Question. Before I do the question, let me do a little cross-referencing. Vayikra and Zohar, I spoke about Vayikra in episodes 156 and 205. Zohar in episodes 107, 153, and 202. And the 9th of Odr, Tess Odr, spoke about in episode 202. So here someone writes, Doubt in Teda and God. What should I do about my doubts about, uh, in God? Shalom, Rabbi Jacobson. For about a year now, there's been a lot of fighting and problems in my house. And through all of it, I still kept my belief in God. But about a month ago, thoughts of doubts began creeping in that God, whether God is real and, and whether the Torah is true. 
But I know God is there and I have felt Him and I know the Torah is true. I have seen it in my life and current events. Is it starting to bother me a lot? It's starting to bother me a lot, so what should I do? The person who writes adds he's age 13. I don't know, he or she. I don't know if it's a he or she. Age 13. Okay. I'm glad you wrote. And it's important to be able to articulate and not, not silence yourself. So first of all, welcome to the club. We all live in a world, <coughs> in a world where God made it very difficult to the point that there's a famous Gemara, which is almost a strange Gemara, but when you think about it, it makes total sense. When Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem, you write in the Torah, Nasa Adam, we shall create the human being in the divine image. Who's this we? We know there's only one God, Hashem Achot. It can give the impression that people will make a mistake and think there's a duality. What does Hashem respond? Those that want to make a mistake, let them make a mistake. Why would God do that? So if you think about it, how Chassidus explains, based on the Kabbalah, especially of the Arizal, that God created an agnostic universe. He concealed His presence from us with a Tzimtzum addition, in order that we have free will, in order that we, through our initiative, should come to discover the truth. So we live in a world where doubts are possible. And the key is to not allow it to overcome us and to control us. There will be doubts, there will be questions. Because God is concealed. He made it that way. We'll never forget the sikh, the talk of the Rebbe, Tu B'Shvat, Tov and similarly, Hashem Rabbe, Tov Shemem Gedalad, where the Rebbe was crying and speaking about how the Moshul, the example Chassidus gives, when, that a father, of, for God concealing his presence from us, a father hiding his presence from a child, and he hides so well, and he, his intention is to elicit the ingenuity of the child to discover the father. But he hides so well that the son, the child, stops looking. Like the Rebbe says, Zunti Gizuch, Sunday looking, Monday Gizuch, Monday he's looking, Tuesday looking. And before the share, at some point, God had concealed himself so well, this child stops seeking. And the Rebbe says, Is he at fault? Is he at fault? He didn't conceal. So that's the way God did it. In the Shana Rabbi Sikh, the Rebbe said, Why would God do that? And ultimately, the Rebbe says, maybe the only way to explain it is because the only way to bring out that we should cry with a, a real emiss, a truthful, a sincere cry, is of this concealment. If there was no concealment, it wouldn't necessarily be a true cry for Mashiach, for Lakus, for godliness. So here's not the, going to, I'm not, here's not the time to go into the explanation why it's that way, but the fact is it is that way. And each of us will be times will be, will have a doubt or two. The challenge, the, the approach to this is we ignore that and we move ahead. You mentioned yourself that you sense the emiss of God, the emiss of Taylor. That's what you have to hold on to. You have to be involved and committed to good things so when that moment of darkness happens, that moment of concealment or shrouds take hold, you have what to lean back on and you have what you're committed to. And sometimes that's what we do. We need to do. We need to forge it simply by commitment even if we don't fully always understand it. So doubts will happen. I refer you to episodes 90 and 40. I'm sorry, 9. Episode 9 and episode 40 where I discuss this more at length. The next one is, since we're talking about Vayikra, Aveda, a carbonist filler. So some writes like this.
I want to add one more thing about the doubts before we continue. Like the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, that when a person deals with atzvus, depression, and negative feelings, says that itself is an assignment that you have to overcome. Doubts, besides ignoring it, itself, it did itself like Haritzalites was planted in order to elicit from us greater strength. I know I said it before with the concealment, but I wanted to just spell it out. That doubt can also be a springboard to great, come to greater clarity and greater certainty. Okay. Reason for prayer. I understand that davening is not just a bakoshes srochov. I understand that davening is not just requesting needs. And therefore, being that Hashem knows what each individual needs are, why do we need, why do we need to ask Hashem for our needs in davening and other times? Basically, the, the true reason for prayer, is when you're in need. Later, the Chachamim, the Rabbanon, added other elements of prayer, but the, re- the real requirement is the minimum is when you're in need. So the question is asking, since God knows our needs, doesn't God know what we need? Why do we need to ask God for our needs in prayer? Shouldn't He just supply them to us, and once received, we will tell Him, thank you. Okay. Well, this goes back to the same point again and again. No, it's not that He needs to hear from us the needs. Of course, God can figure it out, can see it. But He needs us to be a partner with Him in this. When there's a true relationship, and it's not just a one-way street, you articulate something to the person you love, even if they may know it, even if they may assume it, even if for sure they know, because there's a relationship. Our expressing our needs is saying to Hashem, we're partners in this. You sent us to this world. You told us to fulfill our mission. We want to fulfill our mission, but we have needs. Health, livelihood, family, and other physical needs and spiritual and emotional needs that help us do that work that we're doing. So we're expressing that. And we don't just take it for granted and say, oh, God will figure it out. So that's the most basic level of it. Another point is, when you express it, you actually draw down the godliness in those particular areas. Let me explain. Chassidus explains that, of course, godly, godly energy can take on a shape or no shape at all. It's beyond shape. It's just a, a force. Think of save of Kalam an all, a transcendent energy that's all equalizing. But that was not enough. God created a world, he said on day one, Yehi Eir, day two, Yehi Rakia, Tetzeres Desha on day three. Because we need a world of details. So Chassidus explains that the godly energy, so to speak, is channeled through ten spheres, which are then channeled ten mamoris, ten expressions, utterances, that define the details of the existence, like the Alter Rebbe explains in Shai Yechud Vamunah, how the actual letters, God's words, the specific words of the ten maimodas, the ten utterances, and their breakdown, and their subcategories, and their gematrius, and chelufim, and tmuras, actually energize every detail in existence. And even the stone, Evan, even though it doesn't say in the Torah, he Evan, it's also a, it's a permutation of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you wouldn't have that, of course God can do anything He wants, but He wants to channel it in a way that we could say, here's the energy tailored for air, light. Here's the energy tailored for Rikia, heaven, and so on. The energy tailored for creating a human being. The same thing is when we express our specific needs, 
we're creating a channel, a keli, for that particular thing. Could God give it to us without that? He can. But in addition to what I said before about the relationship, it's actually creating the purposes that we should channel that energy into the specifics in the way we need it, and we are the ones that can spell it out. And when we make that keli, when we reach out, then that energy has a place in which to dwell and rest. And that's the Baruch God blesses us in the things, in the kalim, in everything we do. Why do we need to do it? He also knows. He knows what we need, the blessing. Why does he wait for us to do? Because we need to be the partnership and we need to be the channel to draw that down into our existence. Okay. Let's move now to, this has been an ongoing, for a while I haven't spoken about tefillah and prayer. But I want to just refer you that over the weeks, over the months, over the years, we've been developing prayer as such a Yisraelistic foundation in Yiddishkeit. First of all, one of the three pillars, Teira, Avedim, Mils, Chasadim, and Chassidus says, learning is learning, but you must have Avedis at Fila. It's critical. Sadly, there's more learning than Avedis at Fila because Fila is a lost art in many ways. So I, if I was able to, I'd make this a mission. I would make the focus only on prayer as much as possible. But the fact is we have other topics to address. But prayer deserves its own volume, its own focus. So <clears throat> I've been speaking about prayer in the episodes 18 through 20, 133, 140, 182, 199 through 201, and 203. And I've mentioned a number of times that I would get back to it and more questions have come in. And since with Pasha Vayikra, I thought maybe it's a good time to touch upon a few more items. So, if you refer, so I'm not going to repeat everything that was said in those episodes, but see this as a continuing a continuation of those ideas. And above all, teaching us how to daven, how to properly daven. So I'm going to read one more question. In this series, questions keep coming in. Here is a question, and I will address it. And then we'll continue either next week or in the coming weeks. So bear with me. How can we begin to daven the way Chassidus expects of us? So this is prayer continued. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I'd like to commend you for your outstanding weekly webcast. You're doing a wonderful service for the broader Lubavitch community and beyond. You're definitely providing Chassidus-based inspiration and guidance to many of us who are floundering in the raging waters and groping in the terrible darkness of these last moments of Golas. However, I believe there's an essential element of Chassidus-based Aveda, which you are, on the whole, overlooking. Your attempting to show Chassidus can be used as a tool to suffuse our service of Hashem, of God, with passion and inspiration, instead of it being a burden and a chore. You are attempting, among other things, to dispel the notion that Chassidus has proven ineffective in achieving this goal. As I'm sure you know, the Rebbe Rashab himself addresses this very claim in Kuntus Aveda and Kuntus Atfila. Those are two booklets that the Rebbe Rashab gave out, one on Aveda service and one on davening. And the brutal truth of it is that the Rebbe Rashab provides only one solution, detailed his bonanus, contemplation of chassidus, as part of Aveda Satfila, as the work and service of Tfila. The Rebbe Rashab emphasizes that it must be detailed, Contemplation in general terms is not enough. He goes so far as to say that if a person learns chassidus without his bonanus, contemplation, and avedis atfila, and a work of prayer, his study of chassidus is completely useless and pointless. Kuntas Atfila, chapter 8, page 19. 
Furthermore, without Avedis Atfil, the Chassidus one learns becomes an elixir of death, quote-unquote, making one conceited and dragging one's soul down. This is Kuntus Atfil, chapter 9, page 22. For you to be selling Chassidus as an effective tool for change without re-emphasizing this point at frequent intervals is to withhold from people the key to making Chassidus really work, which is the whole purpose of this program. In a letter of the Friedrich Rebbe printed at the beginning of Kuntus HaAveda, he predicts that there will come a time when Talmidim, students, which approach their mashpim with the accusation, why didn't you tell us the whole truth? I understand that you have only the best of intentions. If people realize how hard it is for chassidus to actually accomplish something, they would give up before they even began. And I'm sure that there is some value to chassidus even without his bonus in Avedis Atfila, because this is the approach that Rebbe seems to take in letters I've read. But at the same time, as will become evident from the quote from the Rebbe I bring at the end of the, my comment, the Rebbe does not want us to suffice with mere learning, but insists that we practice actual Hizbonanus and Avedis Atfila. Now my understanding is that for a person to engage in detailed Hizbonanus properly, he must have a broad and deep knowledge of Chassidus. Most of us probably cannot lay claim to such erudition. But today's Mashpim, I'm... I'm I recommend learning a mimer of by heart and thinking about it before or during davening. I'm not sure this is exactly what the Rabbeim had in mind, but at least it's a step in the right direction. But to fail to mention the notion altogether, or even to mention it on rare occasions, is a glaring omission. His bonus is in fact the most crucial element of the entire theme of your program. There are of course those who claim that in this generation we are not shy to such Aveda, beside the fact that this is patently false, since all of the words of the Rebbeim are, inter- are eternally true, the Rebbe himself, as latest Tov Shem Mam Ches, 1988, demanded that we engage in it. In the Sikh of Parsha Shmini Tov Shem Mam Ches, the Rebbe says, at the very least, davening has to be according to what is explained in Kuntas Aveda and Kuntas HaTfila. I don't want to point fingers at any individual and ask him this question so as not to embarrass him, but every person knows himself and should think to himself, when was the last time he davened after being misbeinen before davening for an hour, 60 minutes, or half an hour at least, quote, end quote. I do hope that you actually address this issue in the coming webcast. Once again, a gracious for all your inspirational work. So yes, I agree with this, but I want to make a few key points. First point. Now, my goal is not to make it easy. Everyone knows, and I think any mature person knows, no matter what, whatever it is that you want to work on with yourself, it takes work and takes sometimes long work. But it still doesn't mean it can't be appealing, and it can be endearing, and it can be pleasant. When you explain to the Nefesh Habamis, the animal soul, and that's what Chassidus does so well, how it's good for the animal soul, not just for the divine soul, not just to not impede, but also to be engaged and to be involved in the process, and the animal soul understands it, that's the goal of permeating it. How do you explain it to the animal soul? You have to explain it in terms that make it appetizing, appealing. Even if it's shalei even if it's for its own personal gain, but it's making it grow. Then, obviously you introduce, even the concept of bitl, that you have to give away your ego, you have to forego your ego, can also be explained in a beautiful way that someone says, you know what, that sounds great. And I'd go a step further, even Avedis Atfila, though it's difficult, and though we're not, the real problem I say is we weren't trained properly. It was not done in a way. You could have gishmak in it. Now, of course, you say if there's gishmak, then it's not bitl. So there's levels. There are times you need to gishmak. Sometimes you need to have that you're doing it out of Kabbalah sale. But the idea that your whole emotional being is being offered to God 
to the, is much greater than being offered to all kinds of other nonsense that we're involved in. This can be explained. So I just want to clarify that, no, the goal here is not to make it easy and therefore avoid the difficult things. It's to show that even the difficult things are also pleasant and also appealing and can also be part of your growth and your healing and becoming the person you were sent to this world to become in serving God's higher purpose. That's why when the Rebbe speaks about shlichus and even activism, it's not instead of Aveda, that is Aveda. And there are times you really need exertion. There are times it's very easy. So Advaita Satfila, I would submit, is the difficulty. We weren't trained, we weren't taught. I was thinking about it just this recently. You know, if we were taught as children from the youngest of age, which is the time to do it, in school, impressionable years, there's time, that Tfil is a journey, a travel, a journey. And the teacher who's guiding is a guide, is a tour guide. And you take children on a journey. And I say children, I don't mean too little, too little old. You can start even young, but teenagers. A journey into your soul, a journey into the cosmos, a journey into godliness. And explain that, what are we trying to achieve? Each of the four steps in davening, as Chassidus explains, is another rung of the ladder, Jacob's, Jacob's ladder, which reflects, which is an expression of tefillah. A journey, like in the story of the Magid, that you need the scheda, you have to travel. So when you see it that way, it would be appealing, it would be something you'd look forward to. I see no reason why it can't be done. Does it take work? Of course it takes work, because you have to focus on your own crassness. Just learning an Ayin Bays now. You have to focus on getting away from your own natural impulses just to take care of your own needs. That's always more pleasant. But that too can be explained, and that too can be done in a challenging way to bring out, like in anything, disciplines that how do you teach someone music, or you teach someone sports. You don't think there's effort there? There's a lot of exertion. But they see the reward at the end of it. I'm not trying to compare the two. But you could explain to people the value of it, and I see no reason why it can't be done in a way that the person does it with a chayis, with a passion, and looks forward to do so. So thank you for the comment, and I should mention it more. I hope I do it so between the lines, sometimes directly. But so be it. We are mentioning it now. So we'll stop here with the prayer because there's more to cover. And I'll cover more as we, in the weeks that we go ahead and we, and we discuss further. I will mention the next question is how can we as a couple overcome our obstacles? Can we expect a brighter future? Dear Rabbi, Hi Rabbi Jacobson. My, my wife and I are going, through, are going through a very difficult time. We're under pressure financially with a likely court case hanging over our heads. My wife approached a loan company to pay one month's rent. Now we are managing our money better with the help of financial counseling. At the same time, we are struggling with infertility issues. We are both in our 30s. My wife is in her 30s. I'm my early 40s. We have a boy of five, but we do hope to have more children. From my rational side, I recognize that our path is unique to us. However, my natural tendency is to compare us, myself, to others that have the ability to have children and always seem to be on short footing financially. The other part of the story is my wife is one of eight children. She almost didn't survive childbirth. Her mother keeps on reminding her that she's a, she is fortunate. At a wedding, a wedding dinner nine years ago, a mashpia from the local yeshiva from where my wife was born told her story. We both felt incredibly awkward. I think to myself, maybe this is a pre- premonition that things are going to be difficult. Yet at the same time, I realize that it's up to us to have ownership of our lives. How do we maintain awareness, obst- awareness that the above obstacles are possible to overcome? 
Chassidus uses a muscle of the highest bricks of the wall falling the lowest. In our case, does this mean once we have elevated them, will there be a brighter future? Warm regards, Mashiach now. Absolutely. The whole point of Tehran Chassidus is to give us, the, infuse us with the hope, the confidence, and the strength, and the, and the awareness to really know you can achieve anything. God does not send us a challenge we cannot overcome. You sound to me as a wonderful couple, blessed with a child, God will bless you hopefully with more children. But whatever the blessings are, your job is not focusing on the negative. If you need a mashpia, a third party, to speak to, that can be helpful because that person could perhaps give some clarity. But you have to see the blessings in your life and realize that you have all the strengths you need to overcome any obstacles. I would submit that much of what you're writing may be in your own head, meaning you're projecting a certain negative attitude. We all have obstacles. But the difference between one person and another is attitude. The attitude has to be that you're a winner and you can make it work. I could say as much as I can say here in the program, but it's best always to hear it from people that know you and can say it to you face-to-face and personally to you and your spouse. You help each other reach such heights. And as I've talked many times about all obstacles, including marital ones, everything can be done if you set your mind to it. And you take the brachas and the keiches of those that are higher than us you're tied above, you don't fall below. And correct, if there is a challenge, that challenge is coming from a greater place. And when you learn to overcome it, you can get a much bright, brighter future and achieve that greater place from where the, da- the darkness and the challenge came. The bricks that fall farthest come from the highest place. You can absolutely achieve it. But as I said, you may need a third party, sometimes because we can't always see it on our own and free ourselves from our own blocks and blind spots. Okay. Next question. Should one write which means with God's help or Baruch Hashem on an email or a computer document? This would be more of a halacha question. Does one have to write? This may be more of a halacha question but I felt I should write to you. Maybe you can present some some idea on the matter. So halacha. Well, let's start. The reason we write Baruch Hashem or Beseyite is based on different sources that we're constantly aware of God. <clears throat> it's a cognizance that and all your ways, in all your actions, you should be towards, toward, for heaven's sake, for the sake of heaven, in all your ways you should know God. So when you write a letter, you mention that, it's an awareness, a cognizance. The Baal Shem Tov would teach children, he'd say to them, how are you? It's elicit a Baruch Hashem. We have from the Rebbe quite a number of notes where he actually pointed out that in different booklets or different things or letters that people should write, that should always write at the top of the letter, the words Baruch Hashem. Like on letterheads and in booklets. The Rebbe wrote once to somebody where they wrote Baruch Hashem in a corner but very small that it should be larger and more prominent. Now, some rabbis cite it to Shmaya because they say that Baruch Hashem is that word Hashem may be Shem's name since it could be thrown out the letter. That's why we don't we say say it to Shmaya, which means with the help of heaven. Others say, no, Hashem is not God's name, so it's not a problem. But regardless, both of them are a strict and strong reminder. And uh, the Rebbe does make an emphasis of doing so. Here's the question now, however. When it comes to email, when it comes to social media postings, when it comes to um, other uh, uh, the computer documents, is, does this apply there as well? Now, of course, the argument is why not? 
It's also a communication. It's just an electronic communication. The fact that people discard it, well, you know, it's not really discarded like paper. It may be deleted. So right, might be to Dishmaya. So I would tend to say, I don't see any argument to be made that it should not apply there too for the same reason. I should also add an interesting footnote, if I may, that the Rebbe wrote on one of the, the Rebbe actually added it in a sikha to children. And the Rebbe started speaking sikhas to the children that came back from camp. This is Bez El, second of El, after Minche, Tavshin Lamed Zayin, 1977. So it's printed in Chelik Yudalit, 14, volume 14 of Lakutya Sichas, and the foot, on page 279. There the Rebbe was speaking about that, it's for him that you give out to children, they should add, Lashem Ha'aretzum Loya, which means to God, who fills, Shem Ha'aretzum Loya, who fills the world. It's based on a Pasuk and Tehillim Chavdalat Aleph. So in footnote 13, the Rebbe speaks about that. Um, that every child should have his own siddur. And on the page, before this, before you begin the actual siddur, to write, Lashem ha'oretz umloya. That oretz and all everything that's filled is to God. In the footnote, the Rebbe brings to look in Shabbos, and the Savos, Rabbi Huda Chosid, letter 47. And then he brings a, a domestic Eliezer. You can look it up yourself, but it's interesting how he talks about this and emphasizes it and sees that this has become the custom and brings other customs in relation to that. I just wanted to add that. So I see no reason why this should not apply. Now, some people say it's a little awkward. I'm supposed to write an email to every person I write an email to write Baruch Hashem. I've seen some people do it. It could sometimes appear a little strange, but maybe it's a good idea to remind ourselves of God. At least at some time, maybe it's different in certain emails, if you do it and all. I'm not going to make a psak out of this, because the whole thing is a meaning in the first place, a custom. But I see the reasoning is basically that we are cognizant and fully aware of the divine presence. Okay, and technology is definitely a good place to remind ourselves that we often need more reminder there than other places. If anybody has any thoughts on this, or has any feedback, or has any actual directives, by all means, the thing is email... And much of what we call today the internet didn't exist before Chavzai Nadir in 1994, 95. So I don't think you can find a directive directly about this, but who knows? So if anybody has anything more to add, please do so. Okay, next. We're going to do a bunch of follow-up now. Last week you discussed how to address the issue of anti-Semitic attacks and safety. All over we look, we are faced with new for us, the younger generation, for the us, the younger generation, an open displayed expressions, openly displayed expressions of anti-Semitism, not seen before. I'm sure you will connect it to the story of Purim very timely. But I would like to know what is the Rebbe's view on this topic? How should we react to this? How should we react to this? Besides reinforcing Torah and Mitzvahs, and has the Rebbe spoken about this in public? If yes, when? Okay, and yes, lately we hear from uh, even from a person from the Senate coming out with, a congresswoman, I think, coming out with anti-Semitic statements. Is it worse than it's been in the past? I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but it's definitely, but it's, but it's definitely there. And, um, yes, so there's absolutely how the Rebbe, what, what, um, what is the Rebbe's approach to anti-Semitism? So there's a number of sikhs, but I want to point out one that's connected to Purim, Tovshin Chavhei. Fascinating, powerful, and I would say um, historical, um, fundamental talk, sikha that you should all listen to or, or at least read. 
And the Rebbe speaks there about anti-Semitism and our attitude to it. Briefly, the point is, we have to know that anti-Semitism is part of existence. That Esav hates Yaakov. And it's not nothing that we can do, the Rebbe says there, that will change that. It's not if you assimilate. The Rebbe gives examples there of doing things that ingratiate, will not change. There's something about the Jew that affects a non-Jew. Now this doesn't mean the non-Jewish world has not become more refined and accepted. Look at America being a haven, a malchus al chesed. But there's that element. And yes, he speaks about Achashverosh and Haman and brings the Gemara and Megillah. Daf Aleph, the example, the parable of a person who had a, a land, piece of land and he had a little mound, a mound of earth. Another person had a ditch. Each one wanted to get rid of what they wanted. The one with the ditch said to himself, wouldn't it be good if I could buy the extra earth from the one that has the mound and fill up my ditch? The one with the mound said the exact same thing. Wouldn't it be good if I could pay the one with the ditch to take my earth? So Haman was the one with the ditch, came to Achashverosh and said, let me pay you. Let me pay you for the earth, which is the Jews, that, like our mound, basically, it was a gestecht in the egg, the Rebbe says there, like a sore thumb in the eye. And, and Achashverosh said, no, you don't have to pay me, take it. Because he, he, he didn't want the mound. So it didn't have to be an, an exchange, a financial exchange. And the Rebbe asked the question, and I'm being very brief here, What's the parable? What does it come to add? And he says that there's two ways that anti-Semitism works. There are two ways how the non-Jewish world looks at Jews. Either as a mound, they just stand out, and no matter what, whatever they'll do, they just stand out. It has nothing to do whether they <coughs> will shift or change their positions or dress differently or eat non-kosher and so on. They stand out, and they're a sore thumb, like a sore thumb. They stand out, and therefore... It's a nuisance, and that's one part. There's another, is that, like in other words, a foreign entity. You read a lot of times the anti-Semitic literature. A foreign entity has invaded. Then there's another, is a chritz, is a ditch. The root of it comes from a ditch, which is a deficit, a hole, where Haman sensed, and many anti-Semites sense, that as long as there's the Jews, we're missing something, because God gave them the Torah. They have something we don't have. So you feel a lack not you feel them standing out, but you feel a lack. And that's really the root of it. Achashverosh just sends so-called the outer dimension of it, which was that they're just a pain. I want to get rid of them. So it's really the Gemara is giving us two insights, two ways that are interconnected to why there's anti-Semitism. And the solution is not to try to negotiate, not to try to ingratiate yourself, but to realize the solution is that Nothing you'll do will change it. The solution is to connect to God. Because that will give you the strength to deal with all challenges. Then the Rebbe goes on. There is the idea of also doing everything possible naturally to negotiate to make the welfare of the Jewish people better. This is why Mordechai and Esther did the efforts. But it didn't begin with the efforts. Not because we're going to negotiate or we're going to diplomatically deal with it. We'll solve our problems. It starts with knowing that there's a God, that God protects you. And then God wants you to go do whatever you have to do. That's the general gist of how you approach it. So it's not we, we fight anti-Semitism by hiding our Judaism. That, on the contrary, will only incite 
more against us because they'll see that you're trying to fake, you're trying to deceive. It's being Jewish and that pride, and that will ultimately resolve the issue because God will ultimately transform the nations of the world to recognize that's not a deficit that they can actually learn from us and transform themselves as well as it will be when Mashiach comes. Okay. Um, we are here. Let's see. Next question. Also a follow-up. Productive organs with waste. In episode 251, last week, you talked how the productive organs in the body are holy of holies. You mean the reproductive organs, the sexual organs. How come the same organ is used for one to relieve themselves? Does Chassidus talk about this question? Or the way another person wrote it, why did God make the most sacred human organ also the one used for expelling waste? I've never seen Chassidus talk about it. I do recall seeing in some Sifre Musar from earlier generations, and what I recall, but I may be wrong, that they say it's because everything that's very holy and powerful can also be used very destructively. So in a way, it's a humbling reminder, like the Gemara says, that why did God create the human being last on the sixth day? He's the special, he's, he's the, the most important, the central part of, crea- of creation. So it says because the minig is, you first you set the table, then you bring your special guest. So you don't first bring the guest and then set the table. You set the table and then you bring the guest. Then the Gemishna says a second reason, the Sanhedrin, that a person should know when you misbehave that even Yitush, even a lowly insect, precedes you. Seems like a contradiction. Here's a special guest and he comes to the table after everything is set or the whole world is created and everything is set for the special guest and here he's lower than an insect. It depends on how you behave. If you behave the way you were meant to behave, to live up to the divine image in which you were created, you're the special guest. But in case you misbehave, as the one chassidish expression goes, the cobblestones cry out when a wicked person walks on them, who are you to walk on me? I never transgressed. Know that even a lowly insect, the yitush, preceded you. Even a mosquito or the insect preceded you. The same thing here. The sexual organs, the reproductive organs, have to give us the ability to human being to do something chassidish calls, to bring immortality to this world. Bring, bring, <coughs> excuse me. Bear children, will bear further children. The power to give birth, the power to create something almost from nothing that God gave us. The greatest power. That's why it's such like a holy of holies. But at the same time, we see something so powerful can also be used for very negative ways and much more destructive than other organs other parts of the body. So perhaps, and this I, I think I have a faint recollection that someone says this, I'm not sure who, that so to, so to a humble reminder that you have two parts to you. You have that divine part, but remember, if you misuse it, also know this is the part where the waste comes. And think, and remember, where did you come from? Tipa Sarucha, from a, from a putrid drop. The same drop that gives birth to remind us that both that has two sides to it. If you use a right, it's the holiest thing. If you use a wrong, it's the place of waste. That's my thought on that topic. Okay. Uh, there's more follow-up, but I see we're already running out of time. So I'm going to do the Chassidus question and the essays. What is the clip of Amalek in our personal lives? 
And how do we reconcile the two statements that Amalek is das of klipa, das, meaning chokhmah being a das, das of klipa, and that there's no das in sit achra. Yeah, from the Zohar it says. That is status, it's like a, a, a less, less peter. There's no fruits that come from sitra achra because there's no das. It doesn't have the power to give birth. Okay. So, there are three or four elements of Amalek that Chassidus talks about. One I mentioned, two mentioned before. One is Suffolk. Amalek throws in doubts. Number two, Kriris, apathy, coldness. Like the Moshe Chassidus gives, that when the Eden came out of Mitzrayim, they were all passionate and excited. Amalek says, mm, big thing. They're putting, throwing cold water. Asher Chabaderach, from the word, not just he met you in the way, he encountered you, he froze you. He cooled you off. Kriris. Amalek is also associated with Gaiva. Reish is Goyim Amalek. The worst of all, Avia Vais of Klippa, the source of all Klippa is arrogance. Amalek is associated with that as well. And Amalek, what else is in Amalek? Um, those are the three that come to mind. So that's what Chassidus talks about. They are all associated with each other. But it is obviously unique. I did discuss um, Amalek in context of other clippers in episodes um, 174 and 207. So that's regarding our personal lives. And of course, these three enemies, which is doubts, um, cold, uh, apathy, and, um, and arrogance, are obviously tremendous obstacles to any type of growth. So that's pretty obvious. Now, regarding the Das issue, so there's actually a mimer by Yishma Yisrael, Tofresh Ayim, Eter, from the Rebbe Rashab, where he discusses and asks this question. Briefly, he says like this, what is Das? Das is Iskashus. So you can be very wise, that's Chacham, you come up with ideas. You can flesh them out and develop them, that's Bina. Das is you connect to it. It's a resonance of the truth of it. You feel it, you recognize it, a resonating recognition of the truth. You, get, you bind yourself to the idea, it's becoming part of you. That's why it gives birth to emotions. Das is the, is the place where the Chochmah and Bina connect with you and ultimately gives birth to a feeling that you associate with it. It's not just a cerebral idea that's abstract and detached. So based on that, you would think there's no Das and Klippa because Klippa doesn't get attached to anything. It's selfish. And yet we say Amalek is Das of Klippa. She explains there that there's two types of iskashas. There's iskashas you can have. You see people who can do even a klippa can be a very attached to their ideas. What is don't, they don't have, what the Sayyid is saying, they don't have das that connects them to God. The real iskashas, I think that's my addition before I say that, let me just say. Iskashas to the divine, to something greater than you are, that does not exist in klippa. So it doesn't give birth. Ain't kishay el das, you need das, because you need concentration, you need to connect to something to actually be able to give birth. But there, there's a connection to the idea, a connection to your evil or your selfish interests. There can be das. That's das of Amalek, an arrogant das. But deus Hashem, Hiskashas to godliness, that they don't have. That Klippa does not have. It appears from between the lines, when you read it, it could also mean that real Hiskashas is only to the divine. Because at the end of the day, it's not really skashish. You're not binding yourself to someone else or tiny idea outside yourself. It's an extension of yourself. 
true iskashu's connection to something that is beyond you, that is when it comes to um, Kedusha, only in holiness. Das of Kedusha. Now we do find, for example, kamikazes and others who completely in blind faith committed themselves and did all kinds of things really cruel. Look what the Nazis did, the Germans. So you could say it's a form of Das in Klippe. But at the end of the day, it's not true iskashas because it's iskashas again to their own evil and their own selfish interests and, uh, and uh, racism and anti-Semitism, etc. Okay. Now we'll do three essays, still from last year's contest. Essay, all three in Hebrew. Essay number one is Social Belonging and Individuality. Mishael El Malem, age 41, Jerusalem, Israel. Works in Misada Chinuch, as a psychotherapist in the, the educational department in Yerushalayim. Okay. So he is talking about social belonging, yes, the idea of individuality in society. Of course, using the story of Rab Zusha, that he's crying, why I'm not like Zusha, to find yourself. Speaks about the whole idea of conformity in foreign social settings and how it's vital that a person has recognition. It's vital in any healthy environment, even when there's a group, a social setting, that there be recognition of the individual and its and his or her unique qualities. That's the and it says we learn it from the Ganif and the Goslin. Ganif and Goslin, Ganif of course steals at night, so he's hiding. A Goslin is out in the open. And even from that we can learn how the individuality is important in a person. Yes, a nice essay. I would say a very good essay, stimulating essay. And this and all other essays that are posted can be found at meaningflive.com slash my life or slash essays. We also send them out if you subscribe to our emails, which have very interesting material. We also post the new essays there. The second essay is Your Heart Follows Your Actions. Famous expression, Achrei HaMaisim Nemshachim Halavovus. By Shneir Zalman Brod, age 25, Rechavot, Israel. Part of a team that works in the Yeshiva Ketama in Ur Menachem in Rechavot. So he talks about exactly that. Um, that's uh, the, the challenge we all face on a daily basis. Number one, the issue of choice. Are we in control of our own behavior? And number two, even when we've chosen something, do we feel complete? And do we feel satisfied with our choice? And he goes on to say, he's going to base it on a sikh in Lekutah Sikhs, volume 3, Parsha B'Shalach, about this, these two points, with different examples, and goes to a discussion how actions, behavior, can actually affect your feelings and emotions and the more you, you, you behaviorally change, you actually can change your satisfaction level. So it's again, well done. Touches upon a very fundamental psychological idea and brings it and explains it according to Chassidus and Chassidus' contribution. Good. And finally, the third essay is Discovering Meaning in Life by Contemplating on Creation. Ari Yulis Ziskin, age 19, a, st- a student in Yeshiva Tekoa.
begins with a whole big challenge today in our scientific world that so many argue that there's no purpose to life, it's all random, it's all accident, it's all evolution. And goes to counter that, that all this universe, the, 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 the distortions that universities implant in people who are thinking that we don't have any purpose in life and therefore, why not take your life? It's not that significant. Is counter that when you actually focus and look at the beauty and the design of creation, in every possible way, you actually discover purpose, design, and meaning. And on the contrary, teaches you to embrace life instead of seeing it as negligible. Again, a very good essay, short and sweet. Thank you for that. That covers the essays. As we said, we will, we will, um, I will conclude now, being that this is again Chedesh Oder, that we should uh, have a very Simchidik month, a month that connects us to our purpose, there's nothing more joy when you're connected. It's the greatest way to fight Amalek, the doubts, the apathy, the arrogance. And it should be a Simcha Dika month to the point of Simchas Elam al the Simchas Agu'ula, to the spreading of Chesidus. And Molar, the Deus Hashem, Kamayim la Yom Echasim, Deus Hashem, Iskashos, Deya, the day of Gedusha. And um, we're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m., this has been My Life Says Applied, episode 252. Everyone be blessed. A simcha dika chedish and a simcha dika tomit. Be well.